0: Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here from View from the Cheap Seats podcast. And this week we have... One of the best sports writers in the game, and he's got a great podcast as well. Jonah Carey joins us on
1: the podcast. Did you have fun on View from the Cheap Seats, Jonah? I had the most fun, and my commute was about 14 steps down to my living room. We did it in your living room. We're in Denver. It's a little road. uh, I'm going to call it a road victory for us all. all There's no one I want to talk to more than who right
0: now during these baseball playoffs than Jonah Jonah Carey.
1: Carey. So join us on this episode
0: because we take the deepest dive. Let me just say there is a... Three a, Mordecai three-finger three finger, brown reference. There you go, that's And it by there.
1: the way, Gar Reines is not here. I'm kissing him. I'm, I'm giving a shout-out now. I feel like he always needs to be at least in spirit. when we Love talk. to the batting stance yes. guy. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompas. They're premium, high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested I in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased, Bompas donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost 1 million pairs donated to date, 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com feral and buy some comfortable socks.
2: Feral Audio.
1: and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, everybody. I figured that out. If you haven't listened to my show before, this is what the title there implies. It's a conversation with me, Matt Dwyer, and I talk to somebody who's doing something super interesting in the world or has a unique taste, take, or taste. Maybe they have great, really great furniture. Um, Today is a really, uh, I'm excited about this episode because I talked to probably my favorite living author, Poe Ballantyne. And uh, if you haven't read his books, you should. Uh, They are incredible. Things I Like About America, 501 Minutes to Christ, God Clobbers Us All, Decline of the Lawrence Welk Empire, and his most recent book, which is a really interesting memoir slash sort of crime book uh, called Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere, which he reads an excerpt at the end. And if if you're not a fan of Paul Valentine's at the start of this episode, you're going to be at the end because he's an a inc- very intellectually challenging and insightful dude. And it was, uh, I won't be, well, you. there was a couple moments where I was like, um, not sure if I can keep up with this guy. Uh, so And I, I can't really. But anyway, um, I'm just going to get, uh, sorry, I sniffled there. I've been sick. I can't get over it. But uh, I'm just going to get to this interview. No frills and thrills at the top here. Let's, Get into my conversation with Cobain. I, I just I recently reread and uh, a lot of your stuff, and then of course uh, just ended with. Um, the Lawrence Welk Empire book and Jesus Lordy, it's 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 good stuff, sir. <laughs> it's um. It's interesting too because um, there's such a uh a warmth to your writing that one starts to feel like they know you and are your friend, and then like I started feeling like a slight weirdo. I was <laughs> <It's> like. <laughs> Uh, that's
0: good. I suppose that's good. I'll take that as a compliment.
1: Okay. Good. Yeah. No. I. Because I, I even said that to Rhonda, where I was like, and then uh, and my girlfriend, I was like, oh, I. I. There's like, because I finished all the books. And I like. I felt like, oh, I'm. It's like you start like I kind of miss the the characters and and it's you feel like an absence after after you finish the, the books.
0: Yes, yeah, well, again, I'll take that as a compliment. You know, I suppose that's uh, an extension of my personality. I, I just like people, and, uh, you know, I'm a student of humanity, so, you know, I try to I try to get them down right, and I do, for the most part, uh, you know, like most of my characters, and, and likability is a big, uh, you know, it's very important for me from a compositional point of view, and from a reader's point of view. It doesn't always have to be, you know, likable to be good, a book, but I, but I would prefer to read the uh, a book about you know people that uh, that I cared about than, than the opposite.
1: Yeah, even your uh, even Mountain in uh, your one book. I mean, he gets a little crazy, but you really just uh, you just really love the guy, even though he's lost his his <laughs> nut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's funny uh, because uh, I started off with a totally different character. As a matter of fact, this was based on you know pretty close experience and. The guy that I actually uh, went to see uh, wasn't wasn't half as interesting, and he wasn't working. So uh, there was a fellow that I had, uh, uh, you know, um, he was. I think they, he was in the dormitory where I was staying, where I, you know, where I leave so early in that novel. Uh, and actually, so actually, he came. Uh, you know, he he journeyed with me. I can't remember exactly how the book went, but anyway, he he was very likable, and uh, and I thought it made uh, it made, made it much more interesting to see him. To see a person that you liked and valued uh, you know, deteriorate before your eyes, so that so I, I, yeah, I had to strip that other character out, to put this new one in.
1: Yeah, I was curious because I, when I was reading uh, "Decline of the Lawrence Walk Empire," I was it read a lot like your essays, but I mean, it's a work of fiction, and I was I was curious about how much of that was um, based in reality because it is a, a lot like your your life stories. Right. Yeah. No. That's. Uh...
0: You know, that's, a lot of that is almost transcription. Of course, uh, I had fun with that island and I populated it, uh, and, um, you know, and I put plants that weren't really there because this, I went to the St. John in the, in the United States Virgin Islands and, and spent about three months there before I had enough to get out. But, uh, so I used that as a model, but then I just built my own fantastic island and I inserted a lot of mythology and, uh, the story about, uh, the, uh, the Dutch plantation owners importing or kidnapping basically a tribe of, um, um, uh, African royalty is true. It's one of the, uh, there's a book that you, most people who stay there for any time read and it's, and it's a documentation about, uh, you know, how these, these, uh, hapless or, uh, these, you know, unsuspecting plantation owners imported a bunch of, uh, african royalty and who you know within a period of months wiped everybody out on the island left a doctor and a child i think so i use that you know as, as underpinning and and a lot of the stories that are told uh you know voodoo, the voodoo stories that are told and the, the, the local superstitions and then of course i uh i trumped it up a bit uh part of that was uh by recommendation of uh of uh, Rhonda, because I would have never had a relationship with this woman. But uh, again, yeah, I didn't. She was very, um, she was insistent, and she was fascinated with me. And uh, everybody agreed that I should have some kind of relationship with her. But you know, I really didn't want to under the circumstances. I think my friend probably really would have murdered me if I did. So, uh, but anyway, she she urged me, you know, to create build that part up, and and so I concocted that sex in the graveyard scene and and uh, and i guess it i guess it's a pretty you know uh you know it's a pretty uh um picturesque book you know it's a, got a lot of images in action and stuff that comes rushing up at you
1: it's it's i mean i it was i couldn't put it down and and you write you uh you write about and you actually did uh drift around a lot i mean is that because people often describe you as a drifter is that accurate or i mean because I think of a drifter as someone who goes and kills people, and it's like, <laughs> you are more going. In-
0: well, yeah, no, it's quite true, and that's the problem you have as is, uh, is an itinerant, you know. And I don't know what I was or what you want to call me. You can call me a, you know, a wanderer or a, a vagabond or a. I was really more like a hobo because it was structured, and I would I would work, and you know it was a it was a it was a method of of instruction for me, educating myself and what I was interested in learning about. So, really, uh, I was more of a hobo, um, but I wasn't as I, I wasn't as free and uh, and and detached as most hobos would be. You know, I was always. I always wanted to ground myself somewhere. I always got a job and I wanted to see a revolution of seasons if I could and meet people and get to, get to know, um, you know, the, uh, the, the real thing about this place where I was staying and not what it look, might look like on a postcard or how somebody else had described it. So, yeah, and, and I, you know, and I traveled around for 25, 30 years, um, you know, and my, my objective, I sort of developed, um, a method. And I, the thing is I would start off with a thousand dollars and then I would land in a town. And, um, if I liked it, I would stay, but I couldn't just keep jumping from town to town because I was spending money the whole time. So I'd have to, uh, you know, make a good judgment about, uh, the next place. And it would usually have to be, you know, less than 30,000 small enough to navigate by foot, cheap enough to live that type, that sort of thing. And a lot of times I'd hit. The place, and I knew before I got off the bus that it wasn't going to work, you know. And sometimes I had to make it work anyway, you know. Like when I went to Las Vegas, um, uh, that was that town was just way too big for me, and I knew it. What I knew it was going to be, but I wanted to try Vegas, and I had a, I had developed, uh, I, I was, I had become pretty good at betting football games, and I wondered if I could make a living doing that instead of having to take uh, instead of having to take, um, you know, odd jobs that were always, you know, bottom rung, very. You know, miserable, menial type jobs. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I was a drifter, but not in a. But and of course, the, as I was going to say in the beginning, there, the problem with the that guy who comes into town who has the spotty resume. Uh, you can't really trust him uh, because you know this 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 is the kind of person who's you know exactly as you say he's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna kill you or rob you or something like that. So I was always running into that and and me being a fairly honest kind of person was even uh, worked even um, uh, more hard it was even more difficult it made things more difficult because uh it's hard to convince people you're honest um, because they just don't trust you and then when you're honest and then you you know it, it makes you look even worse and then of course after a week or two they they usually learn that you know that you're not malevolent but
1: yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because I, I recall the, there's the one story in uh, 501 Minutes to Christ, where the you live with a guy, and I think he's a Christian, and he's like actually very kind and outgoing, and gives, and it's like, and I was thinking, I was like, what an incredibly generous and trusting individual that is, because I mean, the you know you're in these small towns, and some guy just drifts in, it's like, it's got to be, I would be, I'm a neurotic, I'd be terrified,
0: All right. Yeah, well, that was in Decor, I think. And uh, it was, you know, that was a town that people didn't go to, you know, so they didn't see. And I, and I was often, I often ended up in places where people didn't go. That was another of my objectives, to be unobvious. And so I would go to places where, you know, most people were headed for Florida or they were headed for Seattle or something. And I was going to New Jersey and Rhode Island and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and whatnot. I was just trying to find places that, that uh, other people. Uh, weren't interested in, and because I knew they would probably be more interesting than the people, the places that people weren't interested in. But yeah, I went into Decora, and, uh, it was, you know, typical Iowa, especially northern Iowa, very Norwegian, very communal, warm, trusting. Um, if, if you're a predator, uh, you're, you're just pre- generally probably not going into places like this. If you're a predator, and, and that doesn't, that's not necessarily 100% true, but, um, you know, I couldn't even get a job when I went to Las Vegas because, and I, and I had a, you know, I'd cooked in numerous places, but, and they need, they had more cooks per capita than anywhere on earth there, probably, and they're in great need of a cook, but I couldn't get a job because nobody trusted me because you've got so many of these people with problems moving into that city with criminal problems, people lying about their backgrounds and, and on the, on the lamb and so on. But in a place like Decorah, you know, a peaceful little golden valley town, um where you know really i don't i don't know what 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 you'd expect to get if you were if you were uh, an operator but so 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 they i i didn't have any problems at all um in in decor this guy was very very nice it was just his nature or, or it was his creed to to be open and trusting and and uh and i, I don't i don't think uh, when i when i first meet people i'm not a, i don't make a good first impression but i but at the same time i don't. I don't think people regard me as being dangerous. I just don't look like the type. I look more like a school teacher, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: when you you know, it's interesting because I lived in Vegas for a while too, and I've I I definitely haven't seen as many towns of you, but I've I've toured around a bit, and I have to. Vegas is like one of the fucking weirdest places. Like it's, and I didn't have a car either, and I had to actually walk around Vegas in August, and it's just like it's fucking. It's just a nut job place. <laughs> I mean, did you yeah, find it is. It as well.
0: I never saw more crazy people in my life. Uh, more crazy, more desperate um, people. It's and you know it's it's not a secret. You look at the social pathology index, uh, whatever, uh, and and it's it's always in the top three. You know, along with its uh, smaller sister Reno to the north, and then a bunch of communities in Florida and um, Southern California. It's just. Where people, you know, they go at the when they're at the end of their rope, you know, or, or they go to win a jackpot because a jackpot's gonna make everything, make all the boo boos go away, you know. They, they, it's, so yeah.
1: And you and you say like, um, you would keep saying how when you would pick a town and stuff, you had these goals. Was that the initial thing, like when you first decided to? to go out, did you have a list of goals of like, this is what I'm going to do, or was it just a, some sort of random thing that you just started doing?
0: Yeah, I, You know, I really don't know. I, I didn't develop any kind of... Uh, I didn't really realize that I, I was um, you know, describing the pattern of a drifter until my... probably my mid-thirties or so. I was just restless. I liked the challenge. I like to travel I wanted to see places. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a writer. And so I figured I needed the more experience I had, especially down there in the trenches, you know, in the factories and and whatnot, um, just the more interesting I would be as a human being and the more responsible I would be describing, you know, know, the American condition. And so it just started out as a sort of an exploration and a process of self-education. But uh, then I saw that, you know, that I had, you know, fallen into this kind of a profile of a, of a drifter, and then I began to write about that, and uh, and that was when I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the map really very much. I mean, I'm often, I'm constantly described as unknown and unheard of and obscure and all that, but but I started to get a following, I guess, a small core following of people who like to read that kind of thing because. I don't think there were a lot of there were a lot of people who traveled and who wrote travelogues, but most of them were were staying on the surface of things and and going and pretty much unless it was like reporting from the the latest war in the country you've never heard of it was it was more like um you know it was on the on the uh the budget of the magazine that had hired them, and I was doing something that was you know much riskier and uh and uh had more i think uh inherent Textural interest or whatever for for readers. So, but will okay, that all to answer your question. That all came about. I don't know if it was accidentally, but it wasn't my original objective.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's there's two things you brought up in in that in that answer that I'm, cause, i because because I've read how often uh, you refer to as uh, underread and what and I read your work and I'm completely perplexed by that. Because – and I – oddly, I mean a lot of my friends do read you and know you and like uh, – are you familiar with the comedian Kyle Kinane?
0: I think I – before I deactivated my Twitter account, I think I had him – I was following him on Twitter, I believe. I'm not sure though.
1: Yes, yes, you were because he's actually the dude who turned me on to you and and so there's like a group of us here in Los Angeles who uh, greatly appreciate you but – so to me, it's like it seems perplexing that that you, that you to, like. To me, I'm like everyone should read this guy. Like you're great, <laughs> but I was, but I was like, I, I, does that drive you nuts that that's how you're referred to sometimes? Or yeah,
0: well, it really does. You know, I. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it it gives me a lot of room to move, and 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 then I don't have to be caught up in any idea of having to consistently produce material. Um, you know, I can just write what I like and pretty much be unfettered by it. You know, I will say that um, most Western writers, it takes them a long time to catch on because, they're, you know, the power centers are still east. And so a guy like, um, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Steinbeck or, uh, or Bukowski or whatever, uh, you know, they, they waited a lot longer, I think, than they if they would have been. Um, you know, native New Yorkers or whatever, writing about uh, 32nd Street and 3rd and the deli there and all that stuff that, uh, you know, that's going to be instantly appealing to the millions of readers and the, you know, the the members of the publishing institutions there. I know L.A.'s got a a literary streak, too, but it's just so much more visually oriented. And, of course, Lukowski was cultivated for a long time in in kind of a Los Angeles... Uh, staple but uh it took him almost forever to to uh to branch out and to be accepted by you know the more um, you know the more mainstream literary groups across the east I think mean, it's very typical
1: yeah and I, I've, I've talked with some other uh writers about this, and you've actually written about it some of uh sort of the academia of the literary world, and I have a friend who went to uh uh she got her masters in the writing program in uh, Iowa is it Iowa State or Iowa University and it's like and she even says like how you almost you just go there to become in to, to get yourself into the insider world of writing and that's sort of and then like John Schmucko gets a job at a publishing company like it becomes this like insider game and uh, right. and i don't I, I was wondering if like i mean i i feel like that in my opinion, hurts liter- literature.
0: Uh, well, in my opinion, it certainly does. Yeah, they have to. Uh, they have to. Uh, you know, they have to protect themselves. They, have, they create their own cottage industry and support each other, and and they have to kind of keep people like me on the outside because I'm the antithesis of the model. I don't even have a. You know, I don't even have a, 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 a degree, a college degree. I just have a a few scattered units useless. Uh, psychology and crap like that. So, uh, yeah, uh, and, and so, yeah, the standard is definitely lowered. It has to be lowered so that everybody can play. And, uh, and, and it, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a student of it. And, and it's strange that I get invited to, uh, to read in, uh, at colleges and, and then I'll discover that they're teaching my essay. So it's, I'm almost like a, a deliberately kept secret, uh, because if I, you know, I, because I, 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 again, I, I'm I'm a threat to that whole system, which has definitely attenuated uh, literature, at least in, in in my perspective.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I um, interviewed uh, this other gentleman earlier this or earlier last year, Danny Bland, who he was uh, you know he was a junkie and he lived a crazy life and. Uh, maybe robbed some banks <laughs> and and uh but he he spoke at some school and uh, or at the, he did a reading and there was all these kids from the local school and he was like they were asking me these questions about writing technique and he's like I, I didn't he's like I didn't study any of that shit he's like I just lived this fucked up world and it seems weird that the 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 system sort of makes it more difficult for the interesting storytellers to actually thrive cuz Right, not to sound like a dick, but some rich kid doesn't have as many, has have yeah. as many great stories
0: right yeah there's well, there's so much money in it now i mean you can get you can start up a an m f a program or whatever even low residence is they call it where you take classes on your laptop, and the whole notion is to is to i mean well, I don't know how much money it's going to cost you, maybe ten twenty forty thousand dollars depending on how far up you go, that money all gets dumped into the system and you know and if you go get a, uh, a biology degree, that means you're going to get a job somewhere. And I think the same mentality is in place with an MFA. Um, but, but, it, but they have to rig the system for it to work because, um, you're not going to, you're going to learn a little bit in college about how to write. Maybe some basic techniques, probably more than anything, just being exposed to literature is the best thing. But you can do that without having to. To, I mean, you can go to the library to do that, uh, you know, or borrow uh, borrow some books from some friends or something like that. So, yeah, that whole the whole thing is really caught to me, and, and it's and it's and it's just building and building. And uh, I guess now there are actually more writers in the world than there are people. At least that's what that's the way it looks from here.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a part of me that's very conflicted with the sort of the internet world because now cuz I I do think there's everybody every, there's so many people are like oh yeah I can write a book or I can write a movie and it's like uh, you really you can't <laughs> it's like that's how I feel like what I feel like so, I'm like you really you you don't know how to and right. but I I feel like the internet has sort of like now anybody can have a blog and on one side I feel like that's great cuz maybe somebody who is actually good might be able to get discovered but then it's like the waters are, you know, murky because there's so many people filling it up.
0: Right. Yes, the downside of democracy really is. There are, there are definite advantages to it. And, um, you know, um, gosh, I don't know, you're cutting out the middleman and you're going straight to your rears and you're, and you're not getting snagged, snaggled by irresponsible editors and and uh I suppose there's all sorts of advantages, but uh, yeah, for the most part, it's the power of Babel, isn't it? You can't even be heard anymore, and it's not getting any quieter
1: yeah it's uh, and I actually talked with Rhonda about this is it it um it it makes me wonder like how many truly great works of writing just are lost to oblivion because because of this structure and nonsense, it's like kind of heartbreaking.
0: It is, but at the same time, you know, the the, the literature, even when it was highly formalized, and there were probably, you know, back in the days of Melville, for example, when there were maybe 20 or 30 houses, you know, respectable publishing houses. um, And, uh, you know, even Melville's book, *Moby Dick, went, you know, it went unnoticed. Uh, He paid for much of what he published, or he got people to, to support him. Uh, I don't think he made any money in his life as a writer, yet, you know, you look at Moby Dick and you go, my God, how did they miss this one? How, how did, why weren't people absent? and they read his early books, they loved his adventure books, but, uh, but, uh, Moby Dick went, uh, went ignored, and it's just a, it's a beautiful, funny, brilliant book. It's, it's easy to read even now. I know there are slow parts in it, and you have to kind of put it into a historical context, but, uh, Gosh, just hanging around with that cannibal, you know, and and uh, and going to get clam chowder with that cannibal, and his wit, um, geez, I. But see, I think that's the way it's always been. I think the best books often go overlooked, and then it's this this Civil War treatment about uh, you know with the with the big slabs of pornography in between, written at a basically an eighth grade level, or are are not only selling you know like hotcakes, but they're being made into movies because the, the masses you know they always they well, always control you know the basic uh, they will control the best seller list just because they're not really interested in something that's um, that's going to make them think so so there's always been that problem it's just been you know uh uh aggravated now by by the internet and all, and um, and amazon kindle and all that
1: yeah it's interesting cuz what you said about movies I was thinking that the other day is like anytime I know of someone who has a book published one of the questions people always ask is oh did it get optioned for a movie and to me that's almost more insulting than it is than it is a compliment cuz it's like it's like that's kind of the worst thing you could do to a book
0: yeah yeah, I've always, I, I I've always been welcome to the idea of selling movie rights, but I wouldn't participate. It would just be money for me. It would be like appearing at a college, you know, uh, for a sum to talk to students about the mechanics of writing or whatever. I would do it because there's no money. There's, there's very little money in literature. There's very little money in book sales, and the, the money is in the creative writing department, in the how-to books, in, um. And in obviously being, um, option for, for, for visual media rights. Uh, that's where the money is. And so a writer, uh, then of course there's money in teaching. So if you're interested in writing and you're, and you have any integrity at all, you're hoping to get supplemented in some quarter other than book sales because book sales, the odds of being, of supporting yourself on book sales are pretty, are pretty narrow. And so, uh, you know, that's why, Uh, that option stuff is is so attractive to a writer.
1: Yeah. Actually, it wasn't Paul Auster refused to teach. I think he felt like that was, as a writer, um, a compromise.
0: Uh, I, I think it is. You know, I think the most dangerous thing about it is your presumption that you know that there's this certain kind of way of writing. What you've done over a long process is discovered who you are, discovered your innate style. Uh, accumulated experiences that were pertinent to what your you know you know what your particular reality is and that's what writing is. Writing isn't uh you know, short sentences and action verbs and uh you know, resolving conflicts and, and all this stuff, you know, that they talk about. It's a process it's a it's a process of discovering who you are and then expressing that, whether you do it from you you know through your own experiences or maybe you know i mean there's lots of writers who talk about um other other people far away i just don't think that's quite as interesting if you've gone through all that trouble but you're not going to learn any of that stuff in school and so the whole notion is again is upside down in my mind and when you teach if you're if you're going to be honest with these students if i was going to teach i would tell them right off the bat hey get out of here you really want to learn how to write you want to be interesting you want to you want to set yourself apart from all the other millions of talented kids uh then then quit go out and, and find out you know do something interesting and find out what's going on in the world and take some risks and um maybe you know discover some things about yourself um so so that yeah and 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 I think that I think most people don't like teaching i think you know obviously there's been a number of great uh, musicians over the years Beethoven or whatever, who just despised teaching. You know, it had very little to do with uh, you know, what, what what they what what they were about and they probably, you know, held them back and and from and from most people weren't going to become you know uh great musicians anyway. You know, they were just they were just
1: hobbyists. So Yeah, it's because I think about the writers that I love, and I don't think any of them were formally trained, and you even think about like early cinema, it's like um, John Huston didn't go to fucking film school. He just like he those early filmmakers, the, which I think are like some of the greatest movies, are actually like these guys who just were like, "We're gonna do it," and it's right. uh, It's um, it's a weird. Uh, I don't know what it. I don't know what it says about our society, but where it's like we're constantly being told, like, "You gotta go this road," and that's the only way to do it, and you have to learn how to do it properly, instead of um. Sort of experiencing life, right? I think that's
0: exactly right. Yeah, all the all the writers I admire. All, there are some exceptions, but uh, the vast majority of the writers that I really admire, you know, they quit school or you know they just went their own way. They ignored the they ignored the general advice. Look, if you got a million people and they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing, how many of them are going to be saying something that's interesting? It's that one person who went the other way, you know, who who climbed on the bus instead of through the admissions department and you know and uh and i'm just gonna probably be more interested in the, the one who went the other way
1: um and who who were like some of like when you first started discovering uh writers and stuff who were the ones that like sort of stuck out to you and like sort of inspired you to maybe go down that road yeah uh
0: that's a good question you know there's, there's two parts to that there's you know, you're, you're a reader for a long time and you just enjoy things and you don't know why something works or why something has an effect on you or why you remember it after years. And then, you know, later on, you might go back or you might just read a book and you see, you know, why you, you see something that really has a strong, um, it makes a strong impression on you. And then oh well, that's, that's what I did. I started uh, you know, there were certain books that I just read over and over again. And then I started to break them down and and study them and steal lines from them and get their meter and try to milk what whatever it was or analyze uh, whatever it was that made that thing work. And so there were certain books and certain writers that I studied. I was I'm, I'm really more about the books themselves because we were talking about Melville, and I'm really not interested in Melville and Taipei and Billy Budd. I really you know I mean they're He's a great writer, and he's a funny and honest man. And he had, you know, he quit school and 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 just started, you know, uh, sailing the seven seas, literally, and uh, take, you know, the, the, you know, going on, just living on an island, you know, running around buck naked with a bunch of uh, natives and stuff like that. So, but uh, but I'm not I'm not really interested in 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 Herman Melville's body of work. I'm interested in Herman Melville himself, but. I've read Moby Dick, uh, you know, seven or eight times, and it's worth breaking down. For me, it's worth analyzing and saying, why is this book so much better? You know, so I'm more about the works than I am the writers. You know, I, I admire a lot of writers and a lot of writers that everybody else admires. You know, the the list is, is endless. But, but when I'm studying people, uh, when I'm studying books, I'm studying the book itself and why the book itself works. Uh, Raymond Chandler was a very early influence on me. You know, another Western writer. Um, actually, he was born in Illinois and raised in England, but you know, he did his, the bulk of his work in L.A. and he's an L.A. writer. But uh, his, his ability to uh, to create mood was what I was, was what I studied for a long time. So I was interested in. And not so much again the book because his plots are a mess, but but uh, his ability to create mood. So I'm just taking the book itself as it works, and 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 trying to figure out, you know, why you know why why do I laugh? Why is there a certain feeling? in this just assemblage of words, it's an assemblage of words, yet it creates a feeling. And so I'm I'm studying uh, I'm studying Nathaniel one Nathaniel West another. Uh, Western writer, although he, I think he's from New York, but, uh, you know, again, writing the bulk of his, his very short, uh, 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 career in, in, uh, in LA as a, you know, as a script writer, as a B movie script writer in Hollywood. So I don't know if that answers your question. I think I, I you know, I get that question every time and, and I try to answer it differently every time I try to go a little bit deeper on it because when you say, who are your influences? That's nice, but uh, but you know why are why are they your influence? I think that's uh, maybe the more interesting question. Why is why is this book great? Why do I read it over and over again? Why do I think about it? Why do I why why does it why do I feel like I sh- like I want to be the author of this book? You know, that's that's what I'm after. So yeah, and I'm and I'm naming off a lot of Western writers uh, and Steinbeck. I, of course, you know, was a very early influence on me. I I never studied him. But he was the one who made me realize that you could you could sit down with a piece of paper and a typewriter and create something that would change people's lives, and that's kind of you know what excited me as a seventh grader. That was my impetus. But I mean, I was I'm, I don't study John Steinbeck like I would study um, you know Nathaniel West or, or Herman Melville or somebody like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. As you were saying that, because you were listing a, a lot of uh, Western writers, which um, I, I like some Western writers. I definitely – I'm from Chicago originally, so I have a penchant for uh, guys like Nelson Algren, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mike Royko, who was just – Yeah. Oh, you know Mike Royko? Right. And,
0: or, yeah, and you you mentioned uh, you mentioned Stutz Turkle on your site, right? Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: I, you, Turkle was – all three of those guys were gods to me. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. I, I, I'm curious because I mean I think unless that's just my own delusional upbringing, I feel like there is a respect for some of those Chicago guys. But um, I, I feel like Western writers don't sort of do they get their due? Because I feel like it, it, I don't know. I'm, do you do you feel like they get the respect that they deserve? That's a good question. I think it, it you know
0: it, it uh, sends us back to the discussion about. Um, the Eastern powerhouses, and uh, and what, you know, what's all designate. And, you know, the Western writers are outnumbered for sure. I don't know if there's a question of do or not. Certainly, I don't think that all these people that we talked about, West, of course, died when he was 38, so he never really got a, a chance to uh, savor his success. But uh, I think do is just, you know, making a living and having, you know, people call you up that you never heard of who admire your work and getting to talk about it for a while. That's pretty much, you know, I, I, admiration from my peers, uh, uh, you know, uh, enough money to get by, and uh, and an occasional, uh, you know, fan letter is really enough for me. That's my due. Uh, you know, I've put in so much work and sacrifice and uh, and taken a lot of risks. You know, I really should be dead now, but taking so many risks that I just feel like there there should be, you know, a larger... Uh, there should be, a, you know, a larger reward, but, uh, but that's that's mostly presumption on my part. And, and again, most, you know, there's less and less people reading, and uh, and so you know, it's it's a it, the number of writers has grown exponentially with the writing programs and blogging and self-publishing, but the actual readers themselves are people are reading less, and some people don't read at all unless they have to. Uh, you know, people are watching TV and they're watching movies and they're watching crap on their computers. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're lucky. I, I think you're innocent if you go uh, into literature thinking you're going to get any kind of do. And I think you're lucky if you do get some, no matter how good you are, just because of the, the, you know, the odds stacked against you and the and the very few consumers compared to, you know, the people uh, who make documentaries and and uh, and movies and, and and especially TV shows.
1: Yeah, but it's funny because in Los Angeles too, there's so many. Um, I guess there's there's a big push for niche books, like, and you got to have an angle, and uh, it's and there's especially for people who are involved in the comedy world. And to me, it's kind of conflicting, but also slightly grotesque because <laughs> it's because it's just like, oh, if you like. You know, I was a white person raised in a black neighborhood, and here's my wacky story. And it just—it right. it seems really f- forced to me, and it just like, hey, let's make some money, and not for the writer. Yeah, yeah, and I think
0: it's true. And, and look at—we're all most of what culture produces is throwaway. You know, it's disposable, and we're just waiting around for that next revolution, that next wave, that next uh, genius personality. Who turns everything around, so most of us are just biding time anyway and and you know and, and slogging slogging through mediocre books and watching mediocre television programs and 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 putting up with uh, the, the sequels and the cartoon uh, movies that were you know that are dished out to us weekly and but every now and then you know something something disappears and and and, and it changes the whole landscape, but it can't just by its own definition, it's not going to happen very often. So a lot of that is, uh, you know, um, it, it's not so much the fault of the system, but it's just the nature of, of of how, you know, how things come about, how things evolve and and that sort
1: of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if, too, sometimes if in this, the, the way things are now structured, if that breakthrough thing is even going to be a harder to happen, that individual, that voice. It, it, it To me, it seems like the odds are becoming less and less in favor of that.
0: There's a tremendous dilution factor and a drowning factor, if you want to call it that. It's just, you know, so many people that are now, you know, how many comedians were there? Well, when I was watching the Ed Sullivan show, Ed Sullivan as a child, and, you know, there were like eight comedians in the world. And if you wanted to be a comedian, you know, you just didn't even think about being a comedian. Uh, there was no, there was no way to become a comedian, and then there was that whole revolution, cable TV revolution, on uh, improv uh, stuff, and and so that opened the gates, and then all of a sudden we got a lot of good comedians, and but they were still recognizable, they were still discreet, uh, but now, uh, gosh, I don't know how, I don't know how you make it, uh, I don't know how you get. Because everybody keeps talking about, because it used to be publicity, attention, exposure. Those were the words that were used over and over again when you had some kind of product to sell. You know, whether it was a, a comedy routine or or a paperback novel. But now everybody's basically everybody's got one, and so it's almost like maybe it's maybe the the strategy should be the opposite. Maybe you should try to be as low profile and unresponsive as possible, and and mysterious. So that when they find they find out about you, and then they go looking for the interviews, they go looking for your photographs, and they want to and they want to and they read your Wikipedia page, and then they you know download some free samples and pirate some of your stuff, and never pay a nickel for any of your work. What if they couldn't find anything, you know? Uh, and then they might then they get really interested, in, and oh, well, this guy doesn't. Con- Concede the interviews. Wow, and, and then they would start making stories about you. And then you, and then they want your books. And everybody, would, all the hip people, would be reading your books. Oh, there's nothing known about him. I think he was in Houston. I think he has one eye. And these, you know. And, and so maybe, maybe that's the strategy. I, I, I'm gonna. You, you stop. You know. You stop. You, you've got to keep trying. But as far as exposure and public, public publicizing and all this stuff, I, I I'm not sure if it works anymore. I. It's just there's such a din. Uh, is anybody going to listen to this? Is any is this going to change anybody's point of view? How many people are conducting interviews simultaneously right now with writers who have really good books and and uh, that aren't selling particularly well? Uh, I don't know. Uh,
1: that's a very interesting <laughs> a concept. Uh... Is, it, is that also part of the reason? Because I, I went and followed you on Twitter, too, and then I noticed that you weren't on there anymore. And is that part of the reason you kind of pulled out of that?
0: Yeah. It, it, I, I, I'm not built for either one of these things. I just, uh, I'm just i not an immediate communicator. I'm a guy who stays by himself for long hours behind closed doors. Uh, I'm not a public kind of a personality. Um, so, you know, there's all this instantaneous communication. Uh, in an avalanche is, is overwhelming to me. I was it, Rhonda urged me very early on that Facebook was the best free advertising you could get, and so I was there. I was there to basically promote myself and just field you know, questions and and, and potential interviews and people who you know wanted to say how much my work meant for them or whatever. But it just was, uh, it was daunting. It was it was overwhelming for me. I'm not I'm not that kind of person, and, and when you know and. And, and it's, I didn't seem to make any uh, dent in sales. Again, I, I'll go back to that. Uh, this idea of exposure and uh, and public, uh, you know, publicity. It's just I, you know everybody's doing it now. It's and and it's just a wall of sound. It's no longer you know you know it's, you can't discriminate it anymore. Um, so so I, I don't think it, it has no value for me, and I don't think I'm particularly good on my feet. You know, I uh, I'd rather. Take uh, five or six years to get a sentence right, uh, you know that just dash off something on Twitter. Uh, and I find that most of the Twitter, the twittering that was going on, was pretty vacuous. So, and I was getting people on there who were inviting me to their things, and then there, there were people who wanted to argue with me, and then there were people who wanted to state their literary views as if they were, you know, one of the Twelve Crusades that couldn't be violated. and <laughs> Uh and so you know, and I just I, I just you know I just deactivated because I didn't really belong there in the first place and, and I hope and I know there were a lot of people that I were close to, and that people it was it was important that they could communicate with me, and this was the only way I had to communicate with them, um you know people from all over the world, but uh you know the the advantages were far outweighed by, and I was taking an hour a day just to reply to people on Facebook, you know. Um, and, and, and I don't, you know, I don't mind corresponding, but I, it, it's not even correspondence because it just disappears into the ether. Most of it just disappears into the ether or it just, it perishes by its own superficiality. So I, uh, you know, I just, I just backed out and I, and I apologized to all those people who, it, if, it, if it offended them. But I, I tried to, to be as graceful about it as I could.
1: Yes, I've kind of thought about, um... That with email and Facebook and all these things is like because we have so many great books that are the letters of artists corresponding. I'm like those are probably going to not exist anymore because because emails get deleted and like uh, and it's like we we will lose that in the future. I think
0: so, and I don't think that uh, the letter that's composed um, you know on a typewriter or even on a keyboard uh, in, into a word document. Uh, I think those have more generally more thought than the things that were just dashing off. And then again, you know, I mean, disposability, uh, disposability has its advantages. Most of those, those those Houston movies that you admired were were going to run for a week or two, and then they were going to be shelved somewhere. Nobody ever dreamed that they'd be shown over and over again. Very few of those movies got. Got shown over again until television came around, and they and they dug up these old reels and and so that was a dis, that was a disposable medium too, um, and and and, and in all of those early television shows that that, that people watched, uh, uh, a lot of them have been lost forever. Uh, thank goodness Laurel and the whole catalog of Laurel and Hardy was saved, but there were a bunch of great comedians. Uh, and, and all the idea was just you just entertained people on a piece of celluloid or, or, or whatever the material was, and then you put that thing in a can and you produced another one, and 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 the, and the old one was forgotten about. So, so maybe maybe disposability has its advantages. It's certainly spontaneous, and um, and and it's I, I think you know it lacks pretense. So, to, to for the most part it lacks pretense. So maybe maybe there's more value than than I'm giving it credit, giving credit
1: to. to. Yeah. No, I yeah, I mean I think about when you were saying that too cuz uh, there's so many Ernie Kovacs things where they ended up using his um kinescopes to, to do weather reports over. <laughs> it's just like right. It's uh, that to me is heartbreaking. But then again, if you think about it, I mean, think uh, there's so many probably live jazz performances of Miles Davis and those guys who never were recorded that were probably more astounding than anything they've ever recorded.
0: Yeah, I think so, and I think it's a good point. And uh, a lot of this is really meant—I don't think—to last forever. It's maybe, maybe we're entertaining more than, our, more than ourselves. Maybe we're entertaining, you know, the gods to some extent. And I don't think it's all lost. And probably Miles Davis' his soul, wherever it may be, uh, is probably being—you know—his soul is probably on some alien player, you know, and and the whole, the whole, his whole body of work is available. Um, I just don't think, you know, I I, I just don't think that it that the things that we do are necessarily temporal and, and lost forever. So, I mean, it, it helps to believe that, at least.
1: It's, yeah, I, that's, uh, I like that idea, because Woody Allen is always, you know, someday everything's going to be lost. Like, there'll be no Chaplin or Beethoven, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't want to th- believe that. Yeah, he, uh, Woody Allen is he's, he's fond of,
0: he's, he's one of my favorites, uh, uh, in, in respect to the deterioration of culture. He's always talking about that. And, uh, and especially, you know, pe- people's, people's tastes, uh, for, for comedy and for drama because, uh, well, he says there, you know, our, 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 uh, you know, our standards have, have been, have been lowered, to, you know, uh, Continuously by television, and and now you can just pr- pretty much put any kind of crap you want, uh, as long as i have got the word you know three uh, at the end of it or whatever. And and there's always that group. There's always enough people to keep that thing going. But I, you know, I, at the same time, I think there are people like you and there are people like me uh, who 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 know what who what's who know what's good, and who know know how hard it is to make, and who and realize that. You know that there are things that are more important than a paycheck, and and who are willing to give, you know, the, the vast majority of themselves for the creation of this this one uh, this one you know work or this one event, and uh, and it's not lost on the, the vast majority of people won't appreciate it, but then there are the you know the, the people who do, and and that's that's what I live for anyway. So I'm a little bit more optimistic than. Than, than other people, and there's also the, the there's also the business of sorting stuff out. You know, um, even back in the '40s, there were complaints about. Uh, uh, you know, I, Flannery O'Connor was asked one time uh, if uh, she if she thought that uh, that the uh, the creative writing programs discouraged writers or something like that, and she said, "Not enough of them." You know, there was too much competition back in the '40s. It's it's you know it's quadrupled or um, probably a hundredfold multiplied, but, uh, and then, and, and through the sorting out process, of course, uh, a lot of good works will be lost, but more, more of the, the chaff will be thrown to the side. And, and I think that people, when they see something that they find that has meaning for them or is highly entertaining, like an old Danny K movie or something like that, it'll rise to the surface. It'll, it'll keep its life. And then that, that stupid movie, you know, about, uh, the three-headed sheep that uh, that ate uh you know that ate Miami or whatever that actually might be good but uh, but that'll be forgotten you know
1: <laughs> oh that killed me uh <laughs> um i guess um it, to 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 wrap it up uh, we we agreed that maybe, perhaps you would read something if you're still interested in that yeah,
0: if you've got time, I've got this little, I got a... little tiny piece. I'll read. It's just this is the first chapter of uh, "Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere." Um, and and before if, all right.
1: if we before we have you read that, I would uh, just like uh, uh, um, Hawthorne Books is where people can go and find your work if they have yet to read it. Um, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, Rhonda Hughes, who was on a couple episodes ago. Um, She's yeah, happy. I saw that. Yeah, she's great. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and also I wanted to, because this book that you're about to read from is your latest, um, uh, I guess, memoir. And b- by the way, congratulations, you got listed as, I believe, the by BuzzFeed, the number three work of nonfiction of 2000, 2013. I couldn't say that clearly. Mm, so I wasn't aware of that. Oh, you weren't aware of that? Rhonda posted that on, uh, on the uh, interwebs the other day. That's oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the, the
0: reception's been pretty good. Uh, you know, the sales have been modest, but the reception's been pretty good. I'm, you know, I haven't got my royalty check yet, but, uh, and I worked for six years on this thing, and of course, I I wrote it at the risk of life and limb. It, it's not, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever done, although most of, most of my work has an element of risk in it or, um, personal sacrifice, but, yeah, this was particularly dicey because I was writing about my own town and, and a murder that hadn't been solved, or a murder, in my opinion. And I was naming the people who I thought might be responsible. And I was highly critical of, uh, se- of several people in town. Um, so, um, and I've had some splashback. I've had, I've been confronted a couple times. Our house has been vandalized. I've been uh, threatened with three uh, lawsuits. Um, this guy pulled up in front of my house the other day, so was shaking my book at me, and and uh, you know, and making some veiled threats. So, uh, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been a picnic. And I figured uh, through all that, that I should at least have you know some consolation. But uh, you know, it, I, I'm not going to. I'll stop complaining now and uh, and and read this thing. Do you, do you want me to to describe it uh, uh, absolutely. to to
1: summarize it? I uh, I did well, want to follow up on it because didn't you change some of the names in the book of the characters, or did you use?
0: Right. No, I changed all the. I changed pretty much all. Well, what happened was that I some of the people that I had in my book, I just asked them if if they wanted me to use their name or if they wanted a pseudonym. I had enough people who said that they wanted uh, another name, a false name, that I just changed everybody's name, and I had a lot of colorful names, and I was really enjoying myself, and then. Rhonda sort of sobered me up and said, "Look the people are gonna if they're interested in this case, they'll just go online and they'll find out who the names are so some of these names, like the man who was murdered um and you know one of your primary suspects and also who who was also an investigator unofficial investigator in the case uh just returned and i so i returned I returned some of the names to their original, so it's you know it's it's they're all tossed about um but i but, it, but it, if somebody asked me to change their name i changed it if i thought there was some kind of uh, compromise or if i put, uh, somebody was at risk somebody that somebody that didn't deserve it i uh and i changed their name and so it's uh it's sort of a, it's a it's a mixed bag of uh, of names and and also as i say i've uh you know i've i've constructed the thing so that it flows uh, but it, you know in a in an intriguing and and and, uh, uh, um, you know, intelligible, uh, uh, form or, 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 or manner. So, in any way, it's it's it, it just basically, it's built around, uh, the, the story of the math professor who was my neighbor, uh, Stephen Hadia, who, um, just recent just arrived, uh, three months after he arrived, he disappeared, and then they found his body, uh, three months later. Um, burned and bound uh, on private ranch land about a half a mile south of the campus where he taught, uh, the police for the most part bungled the investigation by the time state patrol got, uh, got, you know, the case in their hands the uh, the thing was attenuated. The evidence was attenuated. And, and so it remains a mystery. It remains an open case seven years later. Uh, people who don't know much about it, um, think it's a suicide. I thought it was a suicide for a long time. So I saw the crime scene photograph and I started uh, working with some other homicide detectives who reviewed the evidence and so on and so forth. And uh, to, to, to to relieve the gruesomeness of the basic subject matter, I've also discussed, uh, you know, my friend's various diagnoses along the autism Uh, spectrum disorder, and then I've discussed my marriage marriage with a Mexican woman, my Rocky marriage with a Mexican woman, and how we finally learned to get along. So all of that is sort of embroidered uh, around the central um, murder mystery. I'll call it a murder mystery because I would bet all the money I made on this uh, book that it was a murder. This is just the first uh, uh, paragraph. It's called Last Stop, Chabron, Nebraska. Uh, I first came across Shattered, Nebraska by accident in 1994. I had borrowed a car, thrown all my meager belongings in the back, and driven west, the, r- the direction of escape after disaster, the direction of the decline and the setting sun. I intended to kill myself. The farther you go west, the higher the suicide rate gets. And I thought perhaps that would give me the momentum I needed. In America, we remake ourselves, though it rarely works out. I was 38. in debt from a school loan that I'd wasted by dropping out of school, an aborted attempt at becoming a drug counselor, all my beliefs about sacrificing everything to become a novelist that amounted to nothing. To top it off, I had just come off a dizzying, romantic flop with a Spanish professor I had no business being with in the first place. I had been drifting for some time, starting all over, freshly unknown, in a new town, 15 states in the last 10 years without any measurable results. The road had long lost its favor. I was not in the best state of mind. It's no coincidence that I was about as far away as I could get from the people I loved. A funny thing happened when I arrived in Chadron, however, a bucolic, hardscrabble, scrabble blasted prairie town of 5,000 in the northwest corner of the state, the Panhandle, as it's called, elevation of 3,400 feet, a quaint, forested, friendly old snow still on the ground in Maytown. I had a water tower, grain elevators, a tanning salon, a video rental store, a small liberal arts college, a party's stoplight, and a curling yellow sign in the pet store window that read, Hamsters and Tarantulas Featured Today. There were abandoned houses everywhere. I felt It felt like a dying town, politely hanging on. I felt akin. I felt indebted. I thought, you know, we can't all win the game, so why not just shut up for a change and be satisfied with what you have? Why not just be a good neighbor and live an honorable life and take out the trash? Why not stop torturing yourself about fame and art? Why not relent, marry a reformed hooker, buy some old furniture and a ping pong table, become a Cornhusker fan, open a dusty bottle of Kentucky Strait, turn on the Rockies game, and enjoy the brief time you have left on this weird planet of sorrow. Most people would live in an outhouse in Bangladesh before they would voluntarily move to Nebraska. They drive through the state on I-80 and think of it in a vague, resentful way, a flat expanse of interminable boredom sparsely populated with pigs, rednecks, and blue-eyed howdies juggling their nuts among the deep rows of sweet corn. Nebraska, are you kidding me? I heard the same Nebraska joke twice before I got here. Custer says to his men, got good news and bad. Good news is that we're all going to be massacred at Little Pickhorn. Bad news is that we have to cross Nebraska to get there. The panhandle of Nebraska is actually more like Colorado in flavor, with topographical variation. Forests, buttes, bluffs, black cowboy hats, gun racks, and pickup trucks. Craggy, thinly faces, cloud formations like lost civilizations. Not much corn, except for the ethanol fortune seekers fouling up the water table, and the insistent message of self reliance. This town has been poor since it can remember. One reason people are so inclined to cooperate. The land is dominated by wheat, cows, and education. Unlike the rest of Nebraska, Chadron doesn't quite sit on the great Ogallala Aquifer, so there isn't much water here. The closest lake is 20 miles. It rains about 16 inches a year. Western Nebraska is the only place in all my travels where I have seen the dust blowing and the rain falling
1: at the same time. That's great, sir. I, I really love that book, by the way no thank you um, and again I, I want to thank you very much for uh, taking out the time from your life to, to chat with me for an hour I it, it, it... Oh, it uh, enjoy it very much thanks
0: for having me
1: thank you thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer I'm Matt Dwyer if you can donate some dough go to my site there uh, on feralaudio.com uh, there's a donate button because we don't make a lot of money doing these things in fact we make nothing uh, but if you can't afford to donate something, you buy through some stuff through Amazon, and we get a kickback of that. Follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore DeWire, at Twitter.com there, and uh, tell your friends about the show, please. I hope you're all well. Good fun.